Genesis chapter twenty-four, verses forty-two to forty-nine. I came today to the spring and said, "O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let a virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, 'Please give me a little water from your jar to drink.'" And who will say to me, "Drink," and I will draw for your camels also? Let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and draw water. Drew water. I said to her. Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jaw from her shoulder and said, "Drink, and I will give you a camel's drink also." So I drank, and she gave me the camel's drink also. Then asked her, "Whose daughter are you?" She said, "Daughters of Bethel, Nahor's son, whose Micah born to." So I put the ring on her nose. And a bracelet on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my to my master, tell me. And if not. Tell me that my that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Well, it's good to be home. We are grateful that、uh, what God has done over the past、uh, three weeks in providing excellent、uh, preaching.、Um, in my absence,、uh, but it's hard to give this pulpit up. <laughs> I'm glad to be back here, sharing with you from God's Word.、And、we've been、uh, working through the、uh, Book of Genesis、uh, for quite a while now.、Uh, when I was in Ocean City,、um, attending the Ocean City、uh, Presbyterian Church, I guess what they preached on: <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> The cross through Genesis,、um, so that that was that was good. Only he covered a chapter, a whole chapter. I can't quite do that. I tend to break it down into these small、uh, segments. But you know the the、uh, the great thing about、um, the book of Genesis is that the book of Genesis is filled with all kinds of repetitions, events that happen and then are repeated. Maybe even different individuals, but repeating kind of the same things, and it's it's God's way of making it stick in our heads, and that happens all the way through Scripture. It's not just the Book of Genesis, but as we go through Scripture, time and time again, we see events and activities that reflect what has happened earlier, and ultimately all come together in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so this passage that that we have here in front of us 
today is another one of those passages where an event happened and now that event is being uh, repeated. As Abraham's servant repeats what happened earlier in that day to uh, the family of Rebekah. He does so in a fascinating way. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. We're going to see how that comes together. Earlier this week, I was uh, down in Ocean City. And uh, generally, when I'm in Ocean City, I, I do some fishing. Not a lot, but a little bit. And uh, so I happened to be fishing off one of the bridges in Ocean City, New Jersey, when a 71-year-old man stopped by. Uh, he didn't have a fishing rod. Uh, he was on a fishing part of it. He didn't have a fishing rod. He just stopped by. I uh, happened to be walking along, saw me down there, and, and came over. And he asked how the fishing was going. He told me he had formerly been uh, you know, a, a, a pro fisherman on the tour and, and those kind of things. So felt a little intimidated by that. But anyway, uh, he asked me how the fishing was going. I described what was happening, which wasn't that much. And then he asked me where I was from, and I told him I was from Brooklyn. And he gave me one of these strange looks, and he says, you don't sound like you're from Brooklyn. I had to confess then that I actually had grown up in Pennsylvania. So he says, well, what made you go to Brooklyn? My job. That was my reply. Well, what do you do? <laughs> a dangerous question to ask a minister, isn't it? I'm a minister, a preacher. That led to further questions and for a half-hour discussion about God's work in my life and about his own spiritual condition. Finally, he said, unfortunately, he said, I, I have to leave. I've got an appointment I have to go to, but I wish I had arrived earlier. To be able to have that opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. But those kind of opportunities happen in your lives as well. Opportunities come for us on a daily experience, no matter how normal that day seems to be. For you to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. If we're willing and we're able, we can turn those opportunities into witnessing to the powerful and gracious work of God. The servant of Abraham took advantage of just such an opportunity to tell of God's grace to Rebecca's family. As we examine this passage, I want you to notice that the eight ways in which this servant spoke that provided a fruitful witness to the glory of God. And so, as our, our theme from this passage states, when true believers are passionate about God's glory, they joyfully tell others of the gracious and powerful work of God that He's doing in their daily lives so that fruit might come from their testimonies. Your testimony my testimony, if we are passionate about God's glory, if we are excited about what God is doing and has done in our lives, 
then God will provide those opportunities so that we can share with others in such a way that fruit will result from that. And so this morning I'm going to use the word fruitful as an acrostic to show you the eight ways that this servant did what you and I should be doing on a regular basis as we interact with people that God places in our lives day after day. Unfortunately, most Christians, if asked about their spiritual life, can only talk about what happened in their life in the past. Oh, ten years ago I asked Jesus into my heart. Or thirty years ago this happened to me. Many people, however, that you're going to be interacting with don't want to hear about something that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. They want to know, is God real to you now? And so I want you to notice that this servant gives a fresh witness, a fresh witness about what God was doing in his life now. Now, he could have talked about what God had done 60-some years earlier when God called Abraham out of Ur, the Chaldees. Or he could have shared about the horror of seeing Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed, but Lot saved out of that. He might even have witnessed about the miracle of the birth of Isaac when Sarah became pregnant at the age of 90, some 40 years earlier. Those were powerful events. We've walked through those. We've seen God working in those ways. But instead, let's look at how he starts verse 42. He says, I came today to the spring. You see, God wasn't just working in his life in some past events. God was working in his life Today, and he should be working in your life, in my life today. We should be constantly able to tell others of what God is doing, yes, in the past, but also in the present. This servant looked for the fresh work of God in his life on that day. Because he prayed, he saw the coming of Rebekah, not as a coincidence but as the action of a sovereign God in answer to his prayer. So the question becomes, how is your prayer life? You see, that's what led to this experience. If we don't have a prayer life, then how can we know whether God is acting in our lives? How can we know whether what God is doing is something that was just going to happen, or whether it is something in answer to our relationship with the sovereign king of the universe. Is your prayer life filled with thanksgiving because you daily are seeing what God is working out in you? How God is is caring for you? You know, when Elder Enrique and I went over to Cuba earlier this year, we stayed in the midst of a a wonderful Christian uh, culture there in Cuba. And we heard testimony after testimony of God's powerful and providential work in their lives. Let me just share with you one instance of that. 
the church where we were staying uh, was in the midst of a very large building project. Uh, it was probably going to be the, the largest church building in all of Cuba, at least the new buildings, because they had not allowed church buildings since 1959, when the uh, communists had taken over. So we're there with the pastor and the church people, and they told us about this building. And they, they, they told about believing that God had a plan and God had a purpose for what they were going to do with that church in Buena Vista. In order to carry out the, that, that uh, purpose and build the building that they believed God wanted them to build, they needed steel. They needed huge beams in order to carry this out. But the government controls everything. And the government controls all the steel. So when they approached the government officials, they gave the price for the steel for building this, and it was so extravagant that probably nobody in Cuba could have afforded it. Much less a, a, a bunch of poor Christians. And then the government official told them, well, if you can get the beams elsewhere, ha, 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 go ahead and build. He knew it was impossible. The government controlled all of it. But the pastor in the church began to pray. And God answered. They were able to get all the beams that they needed, massive beams, we're talking 45 feet, 50 feet long beams, they were able to get those for a dirt cheap price. You know why? Because in 1958, a businessman had purchased a whole bunch of beams because he was going to build a large uh, part of his business. Well, of course, the communists took over, and that put a stop to all of it. And for 60 years, those beams had sat there unused. And when the pastor approached him, he said, I'd be glad to get rid of these things. Gave him a very cheap price and even helped the transportation of those beams to that place. Those kind of divine happenings we see as, as, you know, a huge answer to prayer. But it is an answer to prayer. It was because the people were praying and seeking God that God acted in a fresh way. Built on something 60 years earlier that God had planned so that it would be there at that particular moment. A fresh act of God. Yet those fresh acts of God don't happen in a vacuum. God is at work in this world with a purpose. The purpose is recognized by those who prayerfully meditate on the Lord's word and on his promises. So while God's action in our lives should be fresh, notice it must be a rooted witness. Rooted deep in the word of God. 
rooted into the midst of what God is doing. Not something that we're coming up with, but a miracle that God performs because God was planning and working for it. You know, I hear people all the time say that this miracle or that miracle happened in their lives. And when they say it, and they tell me what the miracle was, it doesn't line up with God's word. It's, it's, it's something that, that you know, is, is not in line with biblical truth. Well, is God going to contradict himself? So those so-called miracles can't be from God. They have to be from Satan. But I want you to see how Abraham's steward rooted his witness deep in the promise of God. Look at verse 42 again. It says, I I came today to the spring. That's the freshness. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master, Abraham. Now, why does he word it that way? Why does he say the God of my master, Abraham? Because he knows that God's promise was to Abraham. That God had 60-some years earlier called forth Abraham, and God had made promises to Abraham. And 40-some years earlier, God had promised Abraham the seed, Isaac, that would then produce the seeds, that is, the offspring, that would then move the truth of God out into the midst of the whole wide world. So he knew God's promise, and he rooted his fresh action of God in the promise that God had made, the God of his master, Abraham. Most Christians miss the opportunities that God puts right in front of us because we're not reading and studying the scriptures. You see, the the freshness comes when we're in prayer and we're seeking God and we're asking God for the things that will fulfill God's purpose. But it is in God's word that we find what God wants to happen, where God wants things to happen. You know, you look at the New Testament, and what do you see in the New Testament? You see the New Testament writers, and those writers are speaking and acting based upon what God had promised in the Old Testament. They don't go off and just do new things. They do the things that carry on what God had promised and said he would do in the Old Testament. So that when God acted in their days, in those days of that New Testament church, when God acted, they could say this is to fulfill. This is to do what God had said he was going to do. They knew God's word. If we are going to live out the life of God, and we're going to take the opportunities that God gives us. We need to be a people of prayer and a people of the Word. But even as I describe to you the fresh daily actions of God that are rooted deep in the promises in the Word of God, those will not be what are going to draw the attention of the people around you. It's not going to be what's going to cause them to believe on Jesus Christ. 
Well, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, should rejoice daily, giving thanks to God for the things that we see as he's caring for us. We need to notice how it is the unusual witness that will draw people to trust in Christ. What is God doing in your life that shows that God is actively working in and through you, that you have a living and vital relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. What is he doing in your life? I'm not saying it has to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be Fourth of July fireworks or some massive miracle. Listen to the simple but unusual nature of this servant's witness. We see it in verses 43 and 44. He says, he's praying now, right? Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I'll draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Now, that just sounds like a normal thing. It doesn't sound that big until you consider the fact that he had 10 camels That's 25 gallons of water per camel. That's 250 gallons of water that she has to draw. Not only the water for him to drink and for the others who are caring for those camels, but for those camels. Now, let me ask you, ladies. You're going out to a well to get a jar of water to take back to do some cooking or some cleaning. And some stranger comes up to you and says, could you give me a drink? How many of you are going to look behind him and see the ten camels that he's got there and all the guys that are hanging out there with their tongue going (laughs) from the heat? And you're going to go, oh, hey, just the opportunity I was looking for. I want to show off my strength and my muscles. Go down into that well, get the water in my little jar and pour it for all of those camels and all those people. See, it seems like just this normal thing. And yet, it's going to be an unusual thing. An unusual action of God. Now, I suppose that this servant could have asked God for some really astounding miracle. Sort of like Gideon In the book of Judges, when he asks for the fleece to be wet and then the fleece to be dry, and those kind of things. And sometimes God looks at our weak faith, and sometimes he does act in those outside-the-norm ways. But most of the time, when God acts, he acts within the normal channels of life, but he does things in an unusual way through the prayers of his people. This servant didn't test God by requesting something crazy, but he was not afraid to ask God for something specific. Our Heavenly Father, the Bible says, knows what we have need of before we even ask. Sixty years earlier, in 1958, God knew that the pastor at Buena Vista was going to be praying for steel. And he provided it 60 years earlier. 
God knew that this servant was going to pray and ask for a woman to come out that was going to be the right woman. And before the servant finishes praying, the woman has arrived at the well at that moment. We should not be afraid to ask God in the normal things of life to provide specific things if there is a need. And when God answered, this steward of Abraham's did not hesitate. He didn't second-guess God, say, well, maybe, maybe, you know, since it happened so fast, maybe this needs to be tested more. Instead, he took God's action as a faithful response to his prayer. And as a result, notice that he was able to share with Laban and the rest of Laban's family an inspiring witness. An inspiring witness. You see, when you are looking for God to act, and our Lord does act, you can be inspired to share the power of that action in your witness. I wonder how many of us really pray with an expectation that God is going to answer. Do we really pray believing that God is going to do what we are asking Him to do? Now, I'm not talking about the name it, claim it crowd. They think that they have the power to make God do what they want God to do. They treat God the way that Aladdin treats the genie. As if God is required to respond to their beck and call. And that's not the way it works, my friend. Rather, Abraham's servant lined up his request with God's word. And then, when he saw God act, he was able to share that inspiring story with Rebekah's family. Look at how he responds in verse 45. He says, Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and she drew water. What is he doing? He's, he's, he's relating this to the family. He's talking to the family. But he's showing them how God had organized this, how God had brought it together, how God had worked things. I, I think back to, to Miggy when, when Miggy had the brain aneurysm and how many opportunities for testimony we got, Miggy, because we saw God answering prayer after prayer after prayer based upon our belief what God had said that he could do and would do in his word. To know that God is at work inspires us to share that with others. To be excited about it. Here we talk about being passionate for God's glory. Being passionate about what God is doing in the midst of the world. Do you have that passion? Are you inspired by what God is doing in your life so that you willingly and excitingly tell others 
There was no loud shouting, no screaming demands by this servant. Sometimes I wonder about those television healers who, who think that God is death. They bellow like bulls. They, they make demands of the Most High God with the fervor of the prophets of, of Baal that Elijah faced on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings. I wouldn't be surprised if someday they start jumping up and down on the altar and started cutting themselves. But I think they would mess up their beautiful suits if they did that. So I don't think that's going to happen. Instead, let's see God working in answer to our unusual requests and answering them in normal ways. And let those gracious answers to our prayers become the inspiration with which we are motivated to share the good news of the gospel with other people. Notice as well that we need to be sure that what we are sharing is a truthful witness. You know, some people get so hyped up trying to prove that God is working that they stretch the truth a bit. A lot of so-called healings take place with Benny Hinn and others like him that are actually falsified. His nephew speaks about those who used to work with Benny Hinn. The televangelists so want the people to believe in what they are doing that they prearrange healings to get the crowd going. Contrast that with what we see in verse 46 with this servant. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll give your camel's drink also. So I drank and she gave the camel's drink also. You see, he, he tells the story, but he doesn't embellish the story. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't say, you know, and, and, and while that was happening, a, a light from the sky shone down on her so that I knew that she was the one. He sticks with what actually happened. God is excited to work in your life and my life in normal ways. Oh, every now and then he'll send light down on a Saul of Tarsus to knock him to the ground and get him turned around. He'll send a whale or a, a large fish to swallow a Jonah to get his attention. But the normal way of God is to work in such a way that you and I see his hand working in our lives every day so that we can share that. And we don't have to embellish it. We don't have to, to stretch it. He tells his story very simply. He could have fancied it up for the sake of his listeners because he wants to convince them of the truth of what he's saying. But he doesn't. You know, Christians sometimes treat their testimonies like fish stories. Like, am I going fishing, right? Told you I went fishing? Well, check out the fish that I caught. Check that out, guys. That's a huge fish. 
No, that's a camera angle. That fish is 18 inches long. <laughs> it's the camera angle. It's how you hold the fish close to the camera so that it looks like it's big. Right? So I could have told you I caught this big fish. We tend to do that, don't we, in our lives? We want to make God look bigger. We want to look, make God look greater. And so we embellish the story. We, we try to extend it. My friends, all we have to do is tell people what God is doing. We don't have to stretch the truth. There's a reason that many people see Christians as hypocrites. And it's not just by our lifestyle. It's not just because Christians say one thing but do another thing. It's often because Christians make up stories about their spiritual life, trying to impress people when nothing is actually happening in their lives. Let's be faithful, truthful witnesses. But even as I warn about the tendency of us as as Christians to exaggerate or to, to make God look bigger, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use wisdom as to how and where we share what God is doing. So notice that we should have a flexible witness. A flexible witness. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at this, uh, this message as this steward is sharing it with Rebecca's family, what do we see here? We see a man who chooses his words wisely. He doesn't exaggerate, but he makes sure that what he is sharing is pertinent to their lives. Not just giving details. During our short-term mission training, Danielle often reminds us who are going out on those trips of the need for flexibility. One of the places where we're told to be flexible is to be flexible in sharing our testimony. As we share with people what God is doing in our lives, we need to understand who we're speaking to. If I'm speaking to a child, I'm going to share what God is doing in my life differently than if I'm speaking to a a professor of some form of science. And so it is with this steward. He understood that truth, and we see it in verse 47. He says, Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Now, earlier in this chapter, when we see the event happening, after she gives the water does all that, he gives her the, the ring in her, for the nose and, and the bracelets. And then he asks her whose daughter uh, she is. In the retelling of this passage, he reverses that order. It's important to understand who you are talking to. And the order of the account may be of less importance than the story being told itself. Our testimony is not being done in a court of law. 
So we don't have to worry about whether the Supreme Court is going to catch us in saying something a little bit differently, or we're not sitting before a Senate judiciary seat. We're sharing what God has done in our lives. And as we witness to individuals, we need to share in a way that's pertinent to that individual. And that gives flexibility, what we leave out or what we say, but not adding to. Now you might wonder why that's so important. Notice it is because we have an urgent witness. We are talking to people about eternity. When we are interacting with people, eternal life is at stake. Where will they spend eternity? As I spoke to that man in Ocean City, I said to him that in spite of his religious background, eternity was what mattered. He had attended several different denominations over his many years of life. He was currently at a Roman Catholic uh, church. And his position was that it was all the same. Whether Christian or Catholic, or whether a cult, or whether a Hindu or Buddhist, or whatever. All of those, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, spiritualism, they were all part of his mix, and he saw them all as the same. But truth matters. For this steward of Abraham, it was not a matter of indifference. Look at verse 49. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. He had a responsibility to his master. And you and I have a responsibility to a greater master. His was to Abraham and Isaac. But ours is to God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. The responsibility that God has given to us if we are believers in Jesus Christ, the responsibility that God has given to us is not a matter of whether or not a son gets a wife. It is a matter of whether or not somebody gets eternal life. It is urgent, this message that you and I have. To see God at work in our daily life, to have a fresh act of God that we can share with others, inspired to to share with them, so that they might hear the truth. And in hearing that truth, they might believe. You and I need to realize we're not just talking religion or politics or history. Our interaction with people who do not have eternal life ought to have a sense of urgency to it. Passion does not require us to be belligerent or obnoxious. It does require that we understand what is at stake in these conversations. God may have lined up this particular meeting at that particular time, so that you might share with them just what they need to hear in order that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We never know what will happen. That's why Peter says that we are always 
to be ready to give an answer for the faith that lies within us. Very often, we hope to be able to bring someone to know the wonder of the truth of life by faith in Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice that our goal is to be a leading witness. See, our goal is not just to be a witness, but our goal is to lead people to understand the truth so that they might be saved. If I went fishing, but I didn't care whether I caught a fish or not, then I wouldn't put any bait on my hook, would I? Oh, it's just fun casting it out and reeling in, casting out and reeling in. But that's the way a lot of us interact with the people in the world around us. We act as if, as long as I talk about Jesus, that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. If you're going to share Jesus Christ, share him with a passion so that the people desire to know him. Put bait on there. And I'm not talking about false bait. I've already told you that we need to be truthful But make them hunger for truth. There's a saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's not true. I guarantee you that 100% of the time I can make a horse want to drink. Even if it just drank five gallons of water a little bit before. How do you do it? Salt. Give him a cube of salt. I guarantee you that horse is going to drink. Creating a desire for the greatest truth and the greatest hope that humanity could ever have. That's what we're about. You're telling God's story. You're telling about the gracious and powerful work of a God in your life. In the sharing of his story, the servant never lost sight of what his ultimate goal was. He brings it to conclusion in verse 49. And if not, tell me that I might turn to the right hand or the left. You may not want what I have to offer. But at least I've given you that opportunity. If you're not interested, let me know. And I'll go talk to somebody else. I'll go share what God is, is doing with somebody else. That's the way that this servant saw his responsibility. He knew that God had sent him there. And he was not going to stop. Until he reached the goal. We need to ever be ready to share the good news of the gospel. This person turns us down. God is still working in somebody else's life. The scripture says the harvest is white. That is, it's ripe. God is already at work in people's lives. 
as he works in your life, share it with the person around you. Let them know that God is alive. I'm afraid far too often Christians tell tell the story of, of what Christ has done in their lives and then they leave it there. We as human beings need to be forced sometimes to make a decision. Will you put your trust in this God who is at work in my life so that you can experience the things that I'm experiencing? Are you willing, desirous to be born again? Will you let go of trusting yourself and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone? Do you see yourself as a bad person that nobody could love, but God so loved that he gave his son? Will you turn your heart and your life over to Jesus Christ? That's the final end of every story that we share about Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone here today who has never trusted in Christ. Maybe you've never had to decide whether your life matches up to God's word, his standards, his perfection. Maybe you've been religious and you thought that was good enough. But now you realize that when I'm talking about a fresh relationship with the God of the universe, you don't know what that is. You realize that you've been missing out on what it is to be called a child of God and to know that you're that child. The servant of Abraham, he knew that he could pray to God and God would answer. Do you? Let me put it to you like this servant did to Bethuel and Laban and that family. Will you turn to Jesus Christ today? Will you realize that life, passion, flows out of a relationship with an eternal God that you can enjoy? And will you call on him, asking Jesus Christ to give you that kind of life? As we conclude today, I want you to ask yourself, each one of you, some of you can answer it quickly, others maybe not so quickly. Will you be a carrier of good news to those that God brings into your life? Will you begin to share the passion of what it means to have a fresh new relationship with the eternal God? Is your testimony a living witness of God's daily miracles? If not, it might be because you don't have a living, vital relationship with that God. You can turn to him today right where you are and ask him, the eternal God, to forgive your sins and come into your heart. 
by faith in Jesus Christ, know that he has promised that he will bring you life, eternal, even now. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, why is it that we who claim to be the children of God, that the Scripture says that that the Father has lavished His love on us. And as Amy said earlier, that He has promised that all things will work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And we have nothing to say. Forgive us, Father, when we can go month after month, year after year, without sharing the powerful work freshness of that work in our lives. And for those who may be here today, oh Father, that do not know you as Father, oh they have some religious experience, but they don't have a living, vital, passionate relationship with the God of the universe. I pray that you would open their hearts and open their eyes today. They would turn to you and find that new life that comes only through true faith in Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, turn us into carriers of that good news. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.